0: Hello and welcome back to the Performance Cycling Podcast. I'm Todd Norwood here with my co-host Jason Hammond. Hey, how's it going? Going well. What are we talking about today?
1: We're talking about aerodynamics and not all aerodynamics or how planes fly or whatever. We're talking about how aerodynamics relates to cycling and bike racing. And hopefully you can leave with a little bit better understanding of what you're doing when you're riding your bike. And we're also going to talk a bit about equipment selection so you can, hopefully I can help you decide which new aero helmet or aero wheels or frame you're going to buy next.
0: Obviously the fastest one. The
1: one that has the lowest? No. Uh, we'll see. I don't want to spoil anything. So um, first we're going to talk about the big aerodynamic stuff. So um, the first thing that you should know is that air molecules have mass. So all these uh, invisible things around us, they all... Um, weigh something and the idea is it takes energy to move them to change their momentum to push them out of the way so the only way that we can move forward on the bike is by pushing these air molecules away around us in some way and um, it is the 21st century so i'm sure most people have seen you know jet streams or um, some wind tunnel stuff there's a lot of um, really interesting um, short videos on um, I even saw one This just popped up on my feed of an owl and they showed the flow of the, um, of the air around the owl that allowed it to fly really precisely. So, um, I think w- most of us know how the air flows around and we just have to appreciate that that is the main contributing factor to aerodynamics is how this air moves and gets out of the way.
0: And it's a big use of our energy, right? As we, we move forward on the bike.
1: Yeah, so at um I have a few numbers at 18 miles per hour, it's about 80% of our total energy goes into moving the air out of the way, and it's 90, 95% up at race pace and um even higher at, you know, hour record pace.
0: Right. So your your rolling resistance, the other things, your your bearings and your wheels, those are all really quite trivial relative to the energy that you need to move the air out of your way to go fast.
1: Yeah, unless you're like climbing or something. Anything at high speeds, 25, 26 miles an hour. So the biggest number when we talk about aerodynamics is your drag coefficient. So this is a big indicator of how the air will move around you. So it's one number to try and describe how how you're going to move. So it's independent of surface area. It's independent of speed. um, It's just a way to say this is how the air flows around us. So this number is actually kind of weird because it's hard to know what it really is. It can be calculated sometimes if you have a very generic shape like a cube or some airfoil or something, but most of the time it's experimentally derived, especially with cyclists. They just put you in the wind tunnel and they make you sit there for five minutes, and then they get the data and they calculate what your uh, drag coefficient is. And so this is also the number that's commonly used when comparing different products. So some helmets will have higher drag coefficients. Higher is worse. Lower drag coefficients means that it takes less energy to move the air around that object. So the drag, drag force, that is the force that the drag is putting on you. So imagine um, some object is moving through the air the force that's pushing backwards on that object, that's the drag, forced, drag force. And that's proportional to the drag coefficient, the square of the velocity, and the they call it the reference area, but the reference or frontal area. Usually, um, there's, there was actually an app a few years ago that came out that measured the frontal area of
0: cyclists. Do you remember? I, I think I remember seeing that, yeah.
1: Yeah, and so the very basically, the... The drag force, um, okay, it's it's proportional to these, you know, drag coefficient velocity squared in your frontal area, but this is just a way to describe the aerodynamics. Aerodynamics are really complicated and there's, you know, boundary layer stuff. We're gonna try and at least mention a lot of these different things, but this is just one equation to describe the amount of force of drag and Um, If you want a really basic way to tell what your drag coefficient is, just look at the frontal area Mm -hmm. um, and try and reduce that.
0: And I mean, you can test this intuitively on your bike, right? If you're going on a flat surface and you're in your drops, presumably you've reduced that frontal area. If you sit up off the bike, presumably you feel that increase in drag and certainly see a change in velocity if you don't change anything else. And so you can sort of intuit um, how dramatic of an effect this has.
1: Yeah, and also that's why when you brake, you're supposed to lift your chest mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, and so there, we have drag force and then the power, which you know for us is watts, the the power is proportional to force and velocity. And as a result, the relationship between the power production needed and the speed of the rider is cubic. So if you want to go twice as fast, you need eight times as much power. And I remember before I had a power meter... I would always try and go one mile per hour faster. And I just remember it being so difficult. And the reason is because, you know, you have to do so much more work once you start to get up, you know, towards your maximum Mm -hmm. speed. And so just respecting that relationship.
0: Yes. Very, very much nonlinear at this, you know, you really see it at the higher speeds trying to, when you're trying to change speed.
1: Yeah. And also it's a, this is the same reason why professional cyclists can't just ride away from everyone else. Because if they try and ride 1 mile per hour faster and everyone's already going 30, it's really difficult. So um, also in the, from the same equation, we have the fact that your drag coefficient, when you change that, it's also proportional to the cube root of velocity. So when you reduce your drag by 27%, your velocity goes up by 3%. So we have to also, when we think about drag coefficients, we have to think about how much did our drag coefficient reduce? And then you take the cube root of that, and that's how much our speed will change. So you have to change your drag coefficient a lot to really get any sort of changes. So more uh, fluid dynamics stuff. So I had to crack out the old textbook for this one. And uh, I wonder if they'll um, they'll ask for you know my engineering license back.
0: Uh, <laughs> you know,
1: oh, we listen to your podcast. Uh, don't know if you're still allowed to have that thing. <laughs> so. Um, Well, I'll try my best to summarize it. But um, so the one big idea is that when we see cyclists in a wind tunnel, they're not moving and the air is moving around them. And the reason that we can do that, and that's a valid test, is because for an object in space that's not near any other objects, the speed that the object's moving through that medium is the same as if the object was static. And the medium was moving. So it's all about the relative speed of the object and the the medium around it.
0: And this is how a head or tailwind affects you, right? And if you're right. riding ten miles an hour into a ten mile an hour headwind, you might as well be going twenty miles an hour as yeah, far and, as aerodynamics are concerned.
1: Yeah. Um, but what's kind of confounding is that bikes have the ground nearby. So we aren't an object in space with nothing around it. We have the ground and the ground can cause weird effects with, you know, there could be bushes that affect the wind. The, the wind can bounce off the ground or it can come up off of it. So the flow, especially low down, is weird. It's not just this normal flow that we'd expect. So uh, there are some people who argue that wind tunnel testing isn't you know, almost isn't valid for cycling and I think that's not true. There, there is, I think plenty of evidence to say you know these are close enough or pretty good estimations of what it's like in the real world. And if you were to test in the real world versus in a wind tunnel, for those of you who are, are interested in aerodynamics testing, going to a track or a flat straight road and holding the same wattage in your different positions and your different equipment, all those things, that can also be a valid, test of aerodynamics. And you just measure the the amount of time it takes to get to uh-huh. you know, the desired length or distance or whatever. And um, comparing those numbers is just as useful as a wind tunnel. So you don't have to pay the $3,000 an hour price for the wind tunnel. Um, the other thing that you should know with fluid dynamics is when you consider an object moving through a medium, the the molecules that are touching the object are going the same speed as the object. This is one of the key assumptions, and the big thing here is that um, basically, you know, the molecules are are in contact with the skin or the the object, and then they there's you know it's sticky because there's these intermolecular forces, and the next layer up of molecules is moving a little bit. It's sliding along the first layer. And then the next layer up is also sliding, but a little bit faster. And as you move up in layers, eventually you get to the speed of the wind or the the fluid. And this is called the boundary layer. So you have uh, an exponential curve up from zero up to the speed. And this curve is, these are the majority of the molecules that are consuming the energy from the rider. Mm -hmm. And, um, the idea is we want this boundary layer to be really smooth and nice and gentle because we don't want to move that many molecules. If we move a lot of molecules, that's a lot of energy. So we want to try and keep it nice. And that's a big overarching idea in aerodynamics is keep everything smooth, flowing, nice, gentle. And um, yeah, when, when the molecules slide past, that's the, that's the big production of drag force. And uh, I guess I can say now as well that um, there are actually two types, two main types of drag force. So there's the frontal area, there's the molecules hitting the body, and then there's also the molecules sliding across the body. So if you're an engineer designing for aerodynamics, you have to consider both of those uh, separately or together and figure out how to you know minimize both. So it's not just that you want to minimize the frontal area, you also have to smooth out the molecules that are flowing around the the body so the two main types of flow that cyclists have to worry about there's also i think like a supersonic flow or something there's something at very high speeds that um i think that we would probably wouldn't make it as humans at that speed
0: um Uh, well remember there was the guy that did the skydive from whatever and he did break the speed of sound huh yeah so um
1: well, I mean, the point is I, I didn't research it, so uh, I, I don't <laughs> know if I can... But it's probably uh... the
0: one one human to at least survive it that's reported. Yeah, so
1: for us as cyclists, we just have to worry about laminar flow and turbulent flow. And so laminar flow is smooth, slow, speed flow. So this stuff's really nice. It's gentle. Um, and it, it's like if you're walking down the street, you would expect the air molecules to kind of just push around you. And you can, there are also videos of... Um, like someone is emptying their hydraulic fluid from a tank or from a um, from a piece of construction equipment, and then it creates this nice flow and it's um, it looks cool, and you can see that it's it's um, very smooth. Mm-hmm. And then the opposite to that is turbulent flow, and that's like if you turn a gallon of water upside down and it goes glug 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 glug. That is, you know, it's ugly. It's there's a lot of motion in there, and there's a lot of energy that's. Not moving in the direction that we want to be moving in, and this turbulent flow also creates these things called wakes. And wakes are areas of negative pressure behind the body. So this is uh, like if you have an eighteen wheeler, they have a very square back end, Mm -hmm. and if you if the wind comes around them, the wind will curl into that space of the back end and that area of negative pressure. um, This is actually relatively recently discovered as in like not the 1700s, I think they only discovered this in the 1900s, that this negative pressure is just as detrimental as the forward pressure of the frontal area. And so that's why a lot of um, consumer cars have smoothed edges towards the back to try and make get rid of that negative pressure area.
0: Well, and you'll see some of the trailers now have a, a fairing right, yeah. on the back to try to control that a little bit.
1: Yeah, so... Um, the squareness of an object in space is is really bad and I remember one example we had um, in undergrad was for the same volume no it was for the same drag force the volume of a streamlined object was you know pretty big like baseball sized and then a cube of the same drag force was maybe a quarter sized and so the you know the point of the demonstration is it takes, a quarter-sized cube the, the same amount of force as a baseball-sized um, you know streamlined object so appreciating the fact that something that's been optimized for aerodynamics can really make a big difference on the drag force so for cycling for us as cyclists I'm assuming that you're racing on the road 20-25 miles an hour and uh, in, in those situations you're generally gonna have turbulent flow so the way that it would work on you is at the beginning, it would start as laminar flow on your front wheel or on your helmet or across your face, and it'll quickly turn into turbulent flow. And the idea is we want to keep it laminar as long as possible, and we don't want to um, you know, induce turbulence when we don't have to. Um, But actually, there's some interesting research on laminar versus turbulent flow. So the area between the laminar flow and the turbulent flow, the transition can sometimes be really inefficient and kind of sloppy. And so if we actually have controlled turbulent flow, that can be faster than having laminar flow that turns into turbulent flow that's uncontrolled. So one way that they can control it is by, for example, if you have a sphere in space, you can put a, a wire on the leading edge of it, uh, maybe a third of the way along it, a circular wire, and it'll trip the air into turbulent flow, but it'll be a smoothed turbulent flow relative to, if you don't have anything, that it just goes crazy on the back end. And it actually has a lower drag force if you control it like that. And um, so Todd, uh, what you know, what sports object uses the same So concept. this is why
0: golf balls have dimples, right? right. Is to, to help control that.
1: So um, actually the dimples are pretty interesting and complicated. So yes, one thing is that they, the dimples induce turbulent flow and they also allow for a little bit of lift on the spinning golf ball. So the big thing with the dimples is that the golf ball is spinning. So the fact that it's spinning, it needs a slightly different shape than what I described with the sphere that's just translating. It can have a wire and mm-hmm. because we know where the flow is going. But when the golf ball is rotating, you have to have a different shape. But it does you know, basically the same thing of inducing this turbulent flow. And I think what's funny about that is um, there was a period where there were dimpled
0: aero helmets. Yes, I remember that. And wheels, for that matter. Rims.
1: Yeah. And... Um, the you know the big thing here is that dimples are for rotating objects, so it's the way that the flow moves around. So if you th- if you think of a rotating object, and we know that the air on the object is static because that's our boundary layer assumption, then as it's rotating, there's a difference in the the speed of the boundary layer if it's rotating mm-hmm. because the different you know it's it's not um, it's not normal always. So the dimples can help with that and and have a smooth turbulent flow. But when it's on an aero helmet, nobody's rotating their head while the, you know, while the helmet's going.
0: It's not not constantly, right? Like it might, yeah. you may turn your head to look one way or another, but you're not continually rotating your head.
1: And and so I think it's funny because it's I guess it shows engineers who didn't really understand the science that well. And um, it, the the main reason is because aerodynamics is really an uncharted, uh, largely uncharted territory. We still don't know that much about it.
0: Well, we still don't have a single theory for why an airplane flies.
1: Yeah, and also they um they didn't even have they didn't have a single theory on why airplanes fly until like thirty years after the Wright brothers managed to do it. So it took them 30 years to even start coming up with equations, and we still don't have a unified agreement on what the equations right, should because be.
0: Because the two, the two, the prevailing ones out there both break under not so crazy circumstances.
1: Yeah, and honestly, when you start diving into it, you know, laminar flow, turbulent flow, uh, boundary layers—it's um, we're really trying to mesh together something, but um, yeah, we're still having trouble uh, really grasping what's happening. So. Um, the the next area I want to talk about is, um, some of the big progress that we've made so far in specifically cycling aerodynamics. So, um, one, let's talk about body hair. So specialized did a few body hair tests. They weren't the first people to do this. Um, but they did a good job of publicizing it at least. And the, you know, one of their videos, I guess I can include, um, the, the YouTube playlist in the, uh. In the show notes, but they did, um, you know, they tested if a beard was significant. So one of their uh, employees who had a big, you know, lumberjack beard was wind tunnel tested and then he shaved it all off and then they tested him again. And it was there was like no difference, Um, like, you know, four watts or
0: something. Some dedication for science to shave off your beard that you've been working on for a while.
1: Yeah, it must have been like probably like a year or so of, of beard um, but so at least we now all know that the beard doesn't really matter. And who's, um, Geshka or, um, who's the, the pro rider who has like a really nice beard. I, I remember he won a tour stage a few years ago. Um, and I remember the DS was like, you need to shave that. And he's like, no, I don't want to. Um, but yeah, thank you specialized for the, uh, <laughs> for letting this man keep his beard. Um, so beard hair is not significant, but arm hair, I would. they decided it had a small effect. So over a 40K time trial, they said it was something like 22 seconds oh. of improvement. And the reason for that is the air molecules didn't flow over the skin as well when there was hair in the way, which makes sense. It's so interesting that, you know, these very, very thin pieces of hair cause issues with the molecules. You can, you know almost describe this molecular interaction of the hair with, you know, the air molecules.
0: Well, I guess, you know, the, the molecules are small, the hairs are small. There's there's a lot of each of them, right? There's a lot of potential surface area there.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, they're, they're just interacting and the energy that goes into it is not going into you moving forward. And then, uh, so also on this topic, I know a few people who shave their arms. Um, one of my collegiate teammates was really into it. And uh, I've actually done it a few times. It works. I mean,
0: well, I'm sure, that's not a placebo. Um. <laughs> uh,
1: well, yeah, it's hard because yeah, like that's not the only thing you're gonna change, but it also helps with uh, cooling off too if you have that yep. issue. So, um, if you I don't know, don't have a partner or uh, don't have issues shaving your arms, um,
0: twenty seconds.
1: Yeah, there's some uh, speed, free speed maybe, for you. Maybe.
0: Well, it probably also depends on the length of your arms.
1: Uh, yeah, well, it's so proportional if, to... if we go back to our equations, it's the, the surface area, right? And yeah. also the way that the flow moves around the skin. So yeah, if you have big arms, you're a rock climber or a, a tennis player who turned into a cyclist and you have big forearms. Um, on this topic, actually, MIT the MIT cycling team also has access to a wind tunnel. And they published a paper when I was in undergrad that different positions were good for different sized riders. So smaller riders were better off, I believe in the drops and larger riders were better off in the, um, like at, in a bent elbow hoods position, Hmm. because actually the amount of surface area was different for the different sized riders based on. So the, the arm position matters, uh, for a road bike, uh, depending on how thick your arms are. So, um, Anyway, the, the last thing that I wanted to mention from the specialized wind tunnel is the effect of leg hair. So this is actually the, the real one that we should mention. So if you're listening and you don't shave your legs, you should shave your legs.
0: Twice the effect of arm hair. Uh,
1: yeah, I think two or it might even be like two and a half times more. And um, OK, so if you've been listening to my equation so far. So Todd, I want to hear you speculate as to why.
0: Well, so I, I feel like you have your legs are longer than your arms and presumably more robust than your arms. So there's more surface area there. There's mo- your legs are moving more, so they're going to create more churn, some more turbulent airflow around your legs. And imagine there's you know, also more hairs on your legs, right? There's more of more volume, so more opportunities for uh, frictional interaction. And if you know all of its cubic relationship. Then yeah, uh, that's my that's my explanation.
1: Yeah, so actually you went more in depth than I had. I just had um, the large. There's a larger surface area, especially for elite athletes. Um, even if you're a tiny rider, your legs, quads are still huge. Just, um,
0: and especially relative to your forearms. Yeah, and the exposure, the angle of exposure of your forearms to the wind versus your your thighs to the wind.
1: Right. So the the frontal area for your legs actually. Um, it can change up to twenty percent throughout the pedal stroke. So if you think about when you're, you know, your knees up, oh, yeah. you don't have yeah. that much frontal area, and the knees down, you have a lot more. Yep. And um, I, I, yeah, I believe I read one study that said there was a twenty percent change in aerodynamics of the legs throughout the pedal stroke, which just contributes to the uh, turbulence of the flow. I mean, the the wind is really um, like compared to a car, a cyclist is so.
0: Non aerodynamic. Well, there's so many moving pieces that are exposed.
1: Yeah, and all these little, um, like a wire or a, a thin cylinder, is really not very aerodynamic. And so there was actually a period where they were trying to make flat um, brake cables and flat shifting cables to try and make it so that you know they were the frontal area was lower, but they would twist, and then now the frontal area was large because the right because that was worse. Was, yeah. And so, yeah, the flow and if you have if you don't have hidden cables, my most recent bike has hidden cables. And that's something that a lot of aero bikes are doing. If you don't have hidden cables, yeah, your brake cables, your shifting cables are all uh, causing a turbulent flow right through your headset. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, uh, leg hair, really important. Um, The other thing that about leg hair is the speed of your legs is actually greater than your speed as a rider. So when you're pedaling, you act, they have additional velocity, especially at the foot because when you're rolling around the pedal stroke, you you know your foot velocity is Yeah,
0: your foot's traveling a large distance. Yeah,
1: so you know your foot's moving, but you're moving too. So the total velocity is higher than your velocity. So your foot could be moving 30, 35 miles per hour net relative to the you know the air that's not moving. And so, yeah, you're going to get a lot of total speed and total air across your legs.
0: And so then in theory, cadence would have an effect, right? Like in theory, the higher your cadence, the more turbulence you're creating.
1: Yeah. So I actually did the math on this. I think it's only three to five miles per hour at the ankle.
0: Okay. So it's trivial.
1: Yeah. Well, five miles per hour. um, Well, it depends on...
0: Are you saying like like between cadences are just the absolute? So speed So at of the ankle? um
1: at ninety cadence, okay. the absolute speed of the ankle relative to the bike is I think three and a half or okay. four miles per hour. Okay. So, oh, well, I guess if
0: you go up, yeah. But then relative to the speed you're traveling, if you go up to five miles an hour. It's not that big of a change.
1: Yeah. Well, it's twenty-five to thirty miles per hour. But mm. um, you know, you want that back if you if your legs aren't shaving.
0: Yeah. You know? Fair enough.
1: Um, so yeah, uh, what did they say about shaving your legs? Don't do it the day before. There's like an old wives tale that if you do it the day before it, it steals the energy. Like by shaving, you steal the energy from your legs.
0: I thought the hypothesis like you were standing too much when you were doing it. Yeah. Wasting your energy standing up. No,
1: it's the old wives tale actually.
0: Um, well, I think that was the genesis of it though, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You, it is a bit of a production to shave your legs. So, um, yeah, you do it a few days before, or if you just maintain it, just do it when it's time to do it. So, um, next we're going to talk about deep dish wheels. So this is also an area that has been, um, attacked by marketing people. And, uh, (laughs) I, I actually did a report on, um, aerodynamic wheels for undergrad and, um, yeah, so so we'll we'll talk about it, and then I will tell you my opinions. I don't want to ruin it, but um, so that the reason that deep dish wheels are fast is because they the shape of the rims controls the flow of the air around it. So it's funny because. Um, they, they like to argue the different wheel manufacturers like to argue with each other about the shape of their rims and oh, I don't think your shape's very good and oh, did you even test it with the wheel rotating or did you test it with the wheel not moving? and um, they really like to argue a lot about the you know the tests that that were done and um, at the end of the day, the the wind tunnel tests or the the track tests that are done should be really the only thing taken for granted is, We did these five wheels and we did them all at 300 watts for five minutes. And this is how far they went. You know, the rider tried to sit in the same position every time. Those are the types of studies. If you're looking at aerodynamics data that you should take and don't worry about the marketing of like, we've maximized the flow of the blah, blah. Don't worry about that stuff. Just look at the raw results of a realistic and a good test. So, the, um, yeah, the, the rims can control the flow better. And that's sort of the the main focus of the engineers is just trying to understand the way the flow moves over their rims and how to make their rims also compatible with a lot of different tires. Mm-hmm. So the way that the tire also interacts with the rim can affect the speed. And the way that the, um, you know, because we know that the the air on the wheels is static, the way that the boundary layer exists and how tall is the boundary layer um all these things are um, focused to you know to minute by these engineers and um, some have come up with even non non-uniform rim shapes that you know change throughout the wheel mm-hmm. um, but for the most part um, don't worry about all the specifics and just look at the right, arrow data. find the data yeah um, so let's talk about also um, the other reason that deep dish wheels can be Faster is because of the spokes so um, I actually was only um, told about this maybe a year or two ago so when you have a standard box section wheel each of the rim each of the spokes has to push through the air itself so if you you have a 32 spoke rim um, the speed of the spokes up at the tire is actually pretty fast and each time that you rotate through, you have to push air out of the way. So actually, the spoke nipples that you have on your wheels are pushing a lot of air. And this is the main aerodynamic drag of wheels. And so when you have a deep dish wheel, the spokes and the spoke nipples are closer to the hub. And so they're... Or even recessed. Yeah, you
0: might... Into the rim for some the, of them.
1: Yeah, the spoke nipples also might be inside the rim. And so that decreases the surface area of the, um, these spokes when they're rotating around. But the velocity of the end of the spoke is lower because it's closer to the hub.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's not it, traveling as far per yeah, the, revolution, the, um, therefore.
1: The rotational speed may be the same, but the linear speed is lower yep. because they're closer to the center. So, a big aerodynamic advantage of deep dish wheels is that you have less spoke and less fast spoke cutting through the air. And like you said, um, having recessed spoke nipples, although it's. A, really a pain to maintain uh, these wheels. They are also faster because the, um, the aerodynamics are better.
0: So then this begs the question of, is it better to have fewer spokes? And I think the logical answer would be most likely yes.
1: Yeah. So from an aerodynamics perspective, if you have 18 spokes instead of 32 spokes and they're the same you know width then yeah you have only have 18 things pushing through the air instead of 32 and this is the main logic behind like a tri-spoke wheel or a what do they call the five spokes i think they might just call them five spokes mavic has a track mm-hmm. five spoke um it's finding the right balance between having enough spokes that your
0: wheel doesn't so explode it's rigid yeah yeah well um, and so that's another point for a deep dish rim right with the shorter spoke is a stiffer spoke typically So you can have fewer of them and end up with the same rigidity. Yeah,
1: but actually um, deep dish wheels are known not to be rigid because the carbon fiber is usually quite thin and um, the way that they normally lay the carbon fiber is for um, axial, basically um, if you you put weight directly down on the tire, you don't want the wheel to explode because that's the main loading, but side to side loading, they don't really put as much emphasis in that so a lot of riders this is less of a problem now the technology is getting better but earlier deep dish wheels they would flex a lot and you could hear them rubbing on the brakes when people had rim brakes Um, and it was because the the engineers didn't focus on the um the side to side loading as much as they did it's just the compressive loading so yeah deep dish wheels uh have some downsides they can be fast though um but yeah the the big takeaway from my report was It's really complicated. I don't think the engineers know as much as they act like they know. And at the end of the day, you should just get the the data, see which one's faster. I think a lot of their work is trying many different shapes, both using um, computational fluid dynamics and also using real world testing. And they just test a bajillion shapes. They see which ones come out on top, and they try and describe a pattern. And if you want my opinion on deep dish wheels, go find the data, go pick one, um figure out which one is uh has you have a club deal on as well. <laughs> um so another great study that was done by Flow Cycling. So, um if you guys don't know Flow is a um where I'm going to like talk, I'm going to say good things about them but they don't sponsor us, I'm going to say that. Um they it was made by two mechanical engineers, I think they're brothers, and they um, they took kind of a different approach to um, deep dish wheels. They um, are generally cheaper than these other brands. And one of the big things they did was they, I think their the second generation flow wheels was all CFD. They just did like a machine learning algorithm and said, you know, teach us to make arrow wheels. And then they just made whatever came out of the algorithm, um, which is different. And they, they ended up being pretty fast. I don't think the top, but, um, You know, quite good and and also quite cheap, but they did other experiments to help with their optimization of that algorithm. And um, one thing that they did was looking at the yaw angles of riders. So the yaw angle is the angle at which the wind hits the rider. So a zero degree yaw angle is getting hit in the face Mm -hmm. with the wind and 45 degrees is getting hit, you know, half to the side and 90 is getting hit straight straight from the side. And so they found that 50% of the time, your bike is between 0 and 5 degrees yaw. And 80% of the time, the bike is between 0 and 10 degrees yaw. So a lot of these aero tests, for example, you know, frames, helmets, they'll look at the, the um, coefficient of drag, and they'll look at it um, throughout the yaw angles. But what's deceptive is they'll do negative twenty to positive twenty, and in reality we only care about you know negative ten yeah. to positive ten, and um, usually they'll make it really wide if their uh, if their thing does better at wide yaw angles. So for example, I remember the Shiv, the old generation Shiv, was really good in crosswinds, and so Specialized had like a really wide graph for the aerodynamics and they were like look at how fast it is in crosswinds and it's like yeah but we know that 80 percent of the time you're from zero to ten so unless you're climbing on this bike or you know because when you're climbing your speed is lower so if you have a crosswind the yaw is going to dramatically increase but if you're doing anything flat and somewhat fast the yaw angle is really going to be very close to zero so keep that in mind when you're looking at uh, the aero data and on that topic um there's a website called Arrow Weenies, which unfortunately, it seems like it hasn't been updated in a few years at this point, but um, they used to be kind of the go-to source and they were a bit of a database for any published Arrow data. Um, but I guess uh, it would be cool if we could find something that has a little bit more modern um, tech. But there are people who collect the published Arrow data and a lot of manufacturers will publish their, their findings relative to other equipment. And, um, of course everyone says that theirs is the fastest or whatever. I mean,
0: that's why you advertise, right? That's what marketing's for.
1: And so you have to conglomerate them all and figure out which ones, you know, actually correct. So the last thing we're going to talk about is, um, the rider position. So, um, oh, rider position and equipment. So, um, first off the rider position is 65 to 80% of the total drag force. So if that's just, you know, how many air molecules push off the human versus how many air molecules push off the bike and 65 to 80% is the person, which makes sense because the bike's not that big one two, the bike is generally moving in the same direction as the wind. Yep. So the frontal area is really small and uh, three, you know, the, what are we going to do about our chest
0: as riders? Well, and our legs are moving, right? Like
1: Yeah. Yeah, our big quads and our chest are in the way. Um, so you just have to keep that in mind when you're looking at equipment. Equipment is at most 20%, you know, 20,
0: 30%. Including the bike, right? Like bike, yeah. shoes, helmet, all those things are at best 30%. Wheels. Right. Inclusive. Yeah.
1: So um, I actually found one paper that said you're only looking at like a 60 watt difference if you max out everything relative to you know, a fine, a, a, you know, a normal helmet or a normal pair of shoes, normal bike, if you want to optimize well, all so, of those things. So you're
0: talking like in context of a a time trial bike versus a road bike, you're talking about like a, a an average normal time trial bike versus like a totally dialed time trial bike.
1: Um, so this was actually road bikes. Okay, but, so road um, okay. Yeah, it was Either a normal way. road bike to like a very fast like road perfectly
0: bike. Perfectly dialed, got all the stuff. Yeah, okay. and,
1: and that was at um, that was at 31 miles per hour too.
0: Most of us don't ride that fast all the time.
1: Yeah, so the the watts difference would be even lower.
0: Yeah, yeah at a lower speed. Significantly lower, right? Yeah, because of the nature of the equation.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I want 60 more watts on my threshold. That is true, but. That is optimizing everything. So you have to remember that you know we're talking about like a normal frame that has no aerodynamics involved. We're talking about normal wheels that are you know 32 spoke boring wheels. we're talking about normal handlebars, normal helmets, normal you know no skin suit like you have your your club jersey on. Um, and the point here is that it's it's hard to actually get a lot of aerodynamic savings from, your equipment and although the manufacturers want you to believe that it's really important that you have the next generation aero helmet um i believe that it's not that big of a deal and um i think that a lot of riders they kind of they get some anxiety they get some like nervousness especially on the start line of oh he's got the brand new uh, aero wheels and um i i think the math doesn't support that That nervous tension so my one example and I will include this link as well Um, so helmets they make up two to eight percent of the total drag contribution for a rider and the reason for that is they're at the leading edge Mm -hmm. so they hit that laminar flow and they're part of the process of turning it into turbulent flow so everything at the front of your bike is going to be more important so your front wheel your handlebars your gloves your um, helmet; those are going to be the most important things. Um, and actually, it's funny that you know everyone wants the rear disc. Your rear wheel doesn't really matter that much, um, especially not compared to the front wheel. So, um, an aero helmet is forty to fifty percent less drag than conventional helmets. And if we look at say five different aero helmets, the difference in um, aerodynamics between them the drag coefficient between them is about 10%. So um, the difference between you know a top tier aero helmet and a fine aero helmet is about 0.2 to 0.8%. You know force difference once you you know calculate out the math. So when my teammates talk about oh should I get the Giro or should I get the specialized brand or you're talking about a 02 to 0.8% difference in force production. I mean, uh, does it matter?
0: The one that fits? The one that, the one yeah, that matches the, your team kit?
1: Actually, that's the other thing that's interesting is, yeah, the way that the equipment fits on you can also affect the aerodynamics. And so um, my personal opinion is um, for a helmet, pick the one that's comfy. Pick the one that's ventilated. Pick the one that you get a team deal on. And, uh, and just wear it and you know, it doesn't really matter.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would imagine actually ventilation is probably more important. If you overheat, you're probably going to have more performance detriment than losing 0.8% from aerodynamic disadvantage.
1: Yeah. Um, we know that overheating is 10%, 20%, you know, detriment, not 0.2, 0.8. So in terms of all of the, um, potential equipment, okay, we're not going to go through all potential equipment, but, um, Sort of the big sweeping stuff. I would say for my recommendations, based on what I've looked into with aerodynamics, is for a frame, I think you should have an arrow frame, um, but I don't think that it needs to be anything more than just an arrow frame. So uh, get one that's in the top five, maybe top 10, um, but the difference between those is 5%, 10% between them. And like we just did with the helmets, the frame isn't even the leading edge, so it's less important. Um, you're gonna be fine, but compared to a you know, a box section frame, it's it's gonna be significantly faster than that. So, um Todd, I, I don't know if you have a different opinion. I,
0: I'm a mountain biker. I have like seven eighty bars. You know, it non biking, the speeds are so much slower, it becomes okay. it becomes irrelevant, right? To to worry about aerodynamics, really. Um downhill mountain biking is interesting because there is some like motion of, like people wearing skin suits so that that is they go fast enough that actually makes a difference
1: i think it's funny that a lot of like the red bull guys will always wear baggy shirts and uh i don't know it's like i guess you're saying that people are transitioning to uh, although
0: some of it like you need to have armor underneath too right so armor and a skin suit like uh, know, pad, right padding um football players himself. do that yeah so it is it is interesting though because yeah at the speeds they travel and it is actually a little bit faster to be in a hmm. uh, tighter fitting clothing.
1: Huh? That's interesting.
0: But I don't know if you don't, if you're not confident, I think also for downhill mountain biking, you gotta be confident.
1: Oh yeah. They, they're called shy shorts. The, the baggy shorts that have a chamois in them. Yeah. Cause you're too shy to uh, wear the spandex. Um, so yeah, the next one is, um, clothing. So yeah, you want tight fitting clothing. If we think about the way that the air is flowing, through um you know we were worried about the sliding air but we're also worried about the air hitting directly on and one example of this is your baggy rain cape um you know the, the back of it Bellows. pushing out yeah mm-hmm. um and i remember my the, the i worked at a bike shop and the owner always made fun of people he always said you going skydiving after this um, because you know, they would ride and the back would all billow out. And, um, it is really, actually really hard to find a rain jacket that doesn't do that, but, um, putting in a little extra work that, that can make a big difference. And just thinking about the way the air flows and the, if the air catches, um, how it's flowing around you. Um, at the end of the day, I think that if you're racing, you should be racing in a, a skin suit or a Sanremo is what I, I think that's what it was referred to before it became more popular. Um. A Sun Rainbow is uh, like a skin suit with pockets, mm-hmm. so you can keep your food. Um, and another thing, don't have stuff hanging off your bike. Like some people like to ride with panniers all the time, you know, less performance oriented, but uh, that's a huge aerodynamic drag. And um, you might not have panniers, but you might have an extra satchel or bag. Or even a little bag that you you know have on your handlebars or have on your frame or something that can make a huge aerodynamic difference, Um, especially if you're having trouble keeping up with your uh, your friends or teammates or whatever. Um, We already talked about helmets a bit. I would say only wear your helmet your aero helmet for races, Um, and that's how you keep a helmet for three or four years his uh
0: the manufacturers would disagree and say you should replace every two but that's neither here nor there
1: yeah well um so, the, i the think the biggest foam. concern is the uv um but yeah uh you have to figure out the the value of your brain or
0: yes yes and it's probably still going to absorb some impact
1: yeah so um I guess I shouldn't recommend unsafe things, but um, I I have an aero helmet for races only and I got it cheap on a team deal and I have a really comfy helmet that I didn't get on a team deal that I really wanted and I ride that, I wear that in training. That's my everyday helmet Um, and I really enjoy wearing that, Um, but it's not fast and that's okay because I'm training. Um, The other thing with wheels, I already talked about wheels as well. I would say ride the wheels to match the event. So if you're climbing, don't do deep dish. If it's going to be really fat, really flat and fast, then you need to have some deep wheels. Um, at the same time, if you don't want uh, eight wheels in your um, – what do what they call the um, – where they keep horses? Stable. Yeah. If you don't want eight wheels in your stable, then you should just get a 50-millimeter or 45-millimeter deep rim. They tend to be light enough to be able to climb okay – and once you get past about 50 55 millimeters doesn't really make that much of a difference with your aerodynamics um the other thing remember the front wheel is really important because it's that leading edge so um yeah make sure that i guess if you had to pick one one fancy wheel you should pick your front wheel as silly as it'll look i mean the the math says
0: yeah front front wheel whatever
1: um
0: but you, you see that, right? You see that in big races sometimes where the rider's got the big, bigger front wheel and then a, a lighter rear wheel.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. So a lot of smaller riders will, not, will opt for a less big front wheel. And even Flow sells um, mismatched pairs. Mm-hmm. It's common for a lot of manufacturers to do that. But I think that, um, I don't know, like how many people actually ride in crosswind conditions like that? where they need a shallower um, front wheel. And especially at 8 a.m. when your time trial is, you know, right, like they try and get your time trial done before people come out on the road. So your start time is 7.30, 8 a.m. There's not going to be any wind because the sun hasn't been out long enough to get stuff going. So, um, yeah, I would say get a super deep front wheel if you're um, time trial inclined. Um, But, you know, if you can afford both, I mean, they're both going to make you faster. But if you had to pick one.
0: And I mean, placebo effect too, right? Yeah. That's, so at the bare minimum,
1: you, uh, you actually mentioned this before the show, you have a bit of, a, um, you're, you're big on the placebo effect for,
0: oh, for, for, for many things. But, you know, we were talking about disc wheels and does doesn't matter. And, uh, and our team in collegiate, we had like a, a couple sets of time trial wheels. And I, I remember putting them on and this is, you know, just had the road bike clipped on some aero bars and then then borrow these wheels and was kind of riding along like, wow, these wheels are so fast. And then, you know, did, did the things like, well, you know what, that, that might had just been the fact that that rear wheel was so darn heavy and it was conserving the energy, right? The conservation momentum just from the, from the mass of the wheel it didn't want to slow down. Yeah, it was probably probably more probably more of that than any aerodynamic effect. That it was act, you know for for the conditions for the speed and everything. Uh, it was probably mostly just the momentum of the wheel. Hmm. Then it's it just you know my my own experience with it. Yeah, no, well, no data there. Other maybe than you just experience. don't have that much power. Maybe that's, that's the problem. Yeah, I mean that was it. Not no. enough power that day.
1: So the 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 data says that you could get like a 90, per, 90 second benefit over a forty k which is, you know, 90 seconds in an hour. If you have, you go from like box wheels to um, these really nice wheels, Mm -hmm. which is funny because do they really account for also the hub, you know, changing and being better and more efficient? Um, Do they, so, um, you know, in the best case scenario, you get 90 seconds. But if you have brand A's carbon fiber wheels and brand B's carbon fiber wheels, you're looking at like 20 seconds over an hour time trial.
0: At most. Yeah.
1: And so none of us are doing an hour time trial. So you're looking at, you know, seven seconds for a 20 minute time trial, which, okay, that could be, it could be something, but how often do you practice your U-turns? Because your U-turns could cost you seven seconds if you, if you break way too early or can't get out of this, you know, you're in the wrong gear coming out and you, you know, your, your legs get caught up or something. So I don't know, like deciding between which brand to buy. It doesn't matter. Um, I I think shoe covers though are, are actually pretty interesting. Um, there was a time actually our, our mountain bike shoes still kind of ugly. Like there's a lot of mechanisms on the uh, top of them. I
0: guess mean, there's fewer now that you have BOA. Yeah, so right. I think that's cleaned up shoes quite a bit, actually.
1: Pre boa, there were all kinds of straps, and you know, in the way Widgets that ski, and, yeah, yeah. Um, ski boots are similarly like you got to clip this thing and then clack that thing and then crank this thing. And um, once you start to get a lot of plastic on the top there, you know, a lot of air gets trapped and moved around. And um, there was a time when you you could put on um, latex or cotton. Um, stretchy over socks and they really increased your speed
0: Um, but
1: i think a lot of shoe manufacturers are really bringing down the contraptions and you get less of a of a result but um the uh what was the brand velo toes is Mm -hmm. um that's probably your cheapest option um they i mean they don't last very long and um it's just a Thin piece of That's latex. Cover, yeah. Yeah. Um, you have to remember to talc them up. But um, yeah, it's like 15 bucks. And, you know, just remember to get them before your time trial. And, uh, yeah, they'll do the trick.
0: Yeah. It doesn't have to be fancy.
1: Yeah. And I actually sometimes will wear those in races, too. Um, and it's funny, like, the, you know, it's so dry in California. Everything will be dry. And then I'll take them off and my socks will be soaking wet. Sure.
0: Because it's not exactly yeah. breathable.
1: Um, yeah. Uh, latex doesn't breathe, by the way. Um, but, yeah, so um, lots of interesting stuff. Hopefully, you have a better understanding of, um, you know, we don't just want to look at the data; we want to understand what's happening because then we can really make good decisions about our position. About we'll have to have another episode on kind of the the body portion of this. Or
0: yes, and uh, and some we're gonna have to talk about drafting at some point too. We yeah, like the anti aerodynamic part of biking right yeah but in terms you, of equipment stuff
1: air. yeah um it, equipment stuff you know you should be able to look at stuff and and pretty easily decide that looks fast that doesn't and understanding the way the air moves and um, how you expect it to move that can uh, go a long way in helping you make good decisions on um, ways to be a little bit faster but the big takeaway here is that you will only be a little bit faster and i hope that you understand that your Watts are the most important thing. You have to have the Watts to stay in the race, but man, those five Watts feel good when you can have them back and use them somewhere else. But those five Watts are not going to be the difference between you getting dropped or not dropped. You know, there, they might be the difference between you sticking the attack or not. Maybe, probably not. But, you know, realizing that there's so many things to get dialed, just pick a decent pair of wheels, pick a de- decent helmet, Worry about your caffeine intake because that's going to be more important than either of those. Um, And, you know, get your hydration and and fueling down,
0: you know. Yeah. Those are those are the things that are really going to move the needle. And the the aerodynamics is a nice side benefit. Right. It's a nice, nice little boost in your performance, but certainly not going to to win the day for you most of the time.
1: Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's all I have
0: awesome i feel more well-versed in aerodynamics i feel like I, I dusted off a few equations from a physics class i took some time ago yeah <laughs> but all, all good um, so as always uh, if you enjoyed listening please give us a like or review uh, give us any feedback we're definitely open to that and go ahead and share with your friends or colleagues or you know writing partners whoever whomever you see fit and until next time Um, Thanks for listening and keep the rubber side down.